Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Hosea chapter 7 from the World English Bible. When I would heal Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim is uncovered, also the wickedness of Samaria, for they commit falsehood, and the thief enters in, and the gang of robbers ravages outside. They don't consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own deeds have engulfed them. They are before my face. They make the king glad with their wickedness and the princes with their lies. They are all adulterers. They are burning like an oven that the baker stops stirring from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. On the day of our king, the princes made themselves sick with the heat of wine. He joined his hand with mockers. For they have prepared their heart like an oven while they lie in wait. Their baker sleeps all the night. In the morning it burns as a flaming fire. They are all hot as an oven and devour their judges. All their kings have fallen. There is no one among them who calls to me. Ephraim, he mixes himself among the nations. Ephraim is a pancake not turned over. Strangers have devoured his strength and he doesn't realize it. Indeed, gray hairs are here and there on him, and he doesn't realize it. The pride of Israel testifies to his face, yet they haven't returned to Yahweh their God, nor sought him for all this. Ephraim is like an easily deceived dove, without understanding. They call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. When they go, I will spread my net on them, I will bring them down like the birds of the sky. I will chastise them, as their congregation has heard. Woe to them, for they have wandered from me. Destruction to them, for they have trespassed against me. Though I would redeem them, yet they have spoken lies against me. They haven't cried to me with their heart, but they howl on their beds. They assemble themselves for grain and new wine. They turn away from me. Though I have taught and strengthened their arms, yet they plot evil against me. They return, but not to the Most High. They are like a faulty bow. Their princes will fall by the sword for the rage of their tongue. This will be their derision in the land of Egypt. That is the end of chapter 7. Have you ever had a relationship where you wanted to continue with it through all of life and trouble and misunderstandings, but the other person did not? I have various times, not comparing myself to God, obviously, but still, many of us have experienced rejection when we would have nourished and worked on healing a relationship as it needed. Here in Hosea, we have a similar thing with Yahweh and the chosen people, the descendants, the offspring of Israel. They would rather pursue and immerse themselves in all manner of selfish wickedness than know the one true God who has repeatedly shown himself worthy of being known in the beautiful facets of his character and unique being. When Yahweh would heal them, he is faced with their continual and blatant iniquity. 
Iniquity tends to be a particularly biblical word. The King James Dictionary equates it with sin, wickedness, and evil. Vine's Expository Dictionary says it literally means lawlessness or against the law, also unrighteousness or against that which is good. The Greek counterpart to the Hebrew word that is translated iniquity is used in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3, 7, and 8, when talking about the man of sin and the mystery of lawlessness, and the implication being that there is a contempt of the divine law. Hebrews 10, 17 uses this word when talking about how God will remember their sins and iniquities no more, which is a quote from Jeremiah 31, 34. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says it is customary to explain the word iniquity as meaning crookedness or perverseness, but the Hebrew word that is most commonly translated iniquity means to err, to go astray, or to have a deviation from that which is right and correct. It is distinct from sin in that it is about the character of the action. Psalm 32.5 gives an example of this type of usage where he says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I didn't hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to Yahweh, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It is along the lines of being guilty of intent, doing it on purpose, and it also implies the proper punishment. Hence, you hear terms like bearing iniquity, such as Leviticus 17.16, Ezekiel 4.4, Ezekiel 18.19, and Ezekiel 44.10, and then also the comforting passage in Isaiah 53, specifically verses 6 and 11, where it talks about the Messiah bearing our iniquity. Other words translated as iniquity mean similar things, according to the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. They can mean things like worthlessness or perverseness. In the New Testament, the usual Greek that is translated as iniquity also means lawlessness, as I mentioned, and you can see other examples of this in 1 John 3.4 and also Luke 13.27. This all addresses a dangerous attitude I have seen among mockers of Christianity. They describe God as a spoiled, petulant child who just wants his way and throws a tantrum when he doesn't get it. This is merely an attempt to deny the inherent goodness and proper justice of God so that those people can talk themselves into feeling fine, even superior in their wickedness and so they can feel more comfortable when they do, as is talked about here in Hosea 7-1, where they run the gamut of fraud and violent theft. And as in verse 2, they don't think about the reality that God sees all and sees it for what it really is. This is another way of describing them as rejecting knowledge, see Hosea 4-6, and suppressing the truth, as Paul mentions in Romans 1.18 and thereafter. And so they become engulfed in their own deeds. They don't realize they are being overcome by drowning in their sin. This illustration of the baker's oven in this chapter is that of stoking a fire, making it as hot for as long as possible. We, my family, have had that kind of brick oven in our backyard at our previous home. The fire would be built up and the door would be closed so that it would create strong hot coals. 
The oven was constructed from bricks that made this process as efficient as possible. The idea here is that their wicked deeds are not some crime in the heat of the moment. These are practices they are fully committed to and delving into to the fullest extent possible. Their hearts are on fire with wickedness. And in verse 7, their wickedness either devours those who judge it or pulls those who would be judges into being engulfed, enticed by the same flame. Ironically, even with all that fire, they are likened to inedible half-turned pancakes in verse 8. And then verse 9 warns them that if they have any sense of being strong in this way of living, they are very mistaken. Sometimes people say they feel empowered when they admit who they really are or don't fight their natural desires. If you apply this to everything a person might feel like doing, you can see the false and destructive reality. Does a person get empowered by admitting they never want to get any exercise? Or are they empowered when they eat whatever they want? Or more darkly, are they empowered when they lie, steal, or murder? They might have temporary earthly power to oppress others, but their hearts and spirits are certainly not strong, for real strength can only come from goodness. In verse 10, we see the same phrase as was in Hosea 5.5. Their pride is right in front of them, but they haven't acknowledged it and turned to God. Isaiah 9.13 talks about the same thing. Ezekiel 12.13 uses the same imagery as Hosea 7.12, but very specifically is foretelling about how Zedekiah will go to Babylon. He will not see it, but he will go there. And you can see 2 Kings 25 verses 1 through 7 for that full story. The second part of verse 12 is warned of in Leviticus 26 verses 14 through 17. Then verse 13 in Hosea chapter 7 again emphasizes that they lie about God in order to continue with their horrible practices even though, as in verse 15, God makes the case again, he has taught them and strengthened them. He didn't start with chastising them and punishing them. He started with grand miracles and blessings. Since it seems kind of like impossible to plot any real evil against God on his throne in heaven, I wonder if the part about that plotting evil is an allusion to Christ, the Messiah's first appearance. The picture of the faulty bow is also used in Psalm 78:57, a psalm by Asaph, and Psalm 73 verses 8 through 11 elaborates on the idea of people scoffing at God and taking the position that God doesn't know what they are doing, which is curious because if they think what they're doing is okay, they shouldn't be concerned about him seeing it. In the end, all of their pride and subsequent wickedness will result in their derision in the very land that God originally delivered them physically from, that they were told not to return to or to look to for strength and help. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 